0: Welcome to the HC Insider Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the commodities sector and the people within it. I'm your host, Paul Chapman. Today we're talking insects and commodities, an unlikely pairing, yet insects are fundamental to biodiversity, to the agricultural sector, and as we shall see, we have a lot to learn from them In decision theory. Here to talk about insect farming and swarm theory and its implications for trading decisions is Charlie Drew. Charlie is an insect technology specialist and has spent several years with robotic systems as well as the world's largest farmed insect colonies. He spent several years building intelligent robotic systems as well as managing the world's largest farmed insect colonies. He's now co-founder and COO of Swarm a fund that is deploying swarm intelligence to investing strategy, including in commodities. As always, if you enjoyed the show, please do leave us a positive review on the platform you're listening on. It really supports us. And as always, I hope you enjoy the episode. Charlie, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks very much for having me, Paul.
0: So I'm looking forward to the discussion. We are talking, I think, two things that don't necessarily obviously go together, but insects and commodities, and there's quite a story to tell here. Before we dig into that story, can you just, as a backdrop for us, as a, an entomologist, a specialist in this field, can you give us some sense of how important insects are to, you know, the functioning of the of the world and the world economy and its in its biosphere?
1: Absolutely, I think insects really are uh, the backbone of, of global biodiversity represent about 50 percent of the global animal biomass in the world and alarmingly for us humans habitat loss is resulting in biodiversity decline in insect species that is outpacing all other animal types so it's occurring eight times faster than that of vertebrates insects really are the fundamental basis of of our food chain
0: and we're also suffering you know catastrophic insect loss at the moment or biodiversity loss across the board but insects in particular are disappearing and they're obviously the least categorized as well
1: absolutely and i think we're certainly the least aware of it because so many insects are present and active at night Uh, they're not necessarily that visible i think the one thing that maybe your audience will will resonate with if you cast your minds back 20 25 years you're driving along back late at night something called the number plate splat phenomenon. And a recent study here in the UK has just shown how much number plate splatting has declined over the last 20 years. And a really interesting study done here in the South of England, but it's completely synonymous with the rest of the world, really, about number splats that are placed on the front of your uh, number plate or windscreen. And it's a big scientific study that's done across the world. And it's showing that insect biodiversity uh, is declining as much as 60% in the last 20 years, which is a phenomenal and alarming rate of change. Uh, I'm only uh, in my mid-20s, but I can certainly remember my earlier years and the number of insects you'd be wiping off your your windscreen. It feels like the British summers that that's uh, really no longer quite the case.
0: And, And that has, you know, talking, you know, the commodities world that has significant implications for the agri sector in particular, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, if we talk about insects and the use of insecticides and pollinators, insects are such a fundamental part of the commodities that we produce, particularly you know, agricultural commodities, plants, etc., that require pollination. Um, they are certainly, you know, there's a, a reduction in biodiversity, but also an increase in in pest species and certain types of insect weevils and fruit fly etc so concentrations of not necessarily the type of insects that we want to encourage and and that's as a result of the intensification of of farming certainly the the monoculture surrounding farming so it's not an encouraging trend uh, in either direction i'm afraid to report
0: yeah yeah there's one just i guess because it is going to be crucial for this story. Insects organize quite differently to mammals, for example, in how they create, in quotes, intelligence and how they they socialize and operate socially. Can you just give us a sense of some of the sort of the wild, you know, I remember David Attenborough's book years ago, sort of alien planet, you know, how different Mm. insects are to to how our more familiar animals that are around us?
1: Absolutely. Well, I'll I'll talk broadly about insects. I mean, there's so many, you know, varieties of of species of of insects. You know, even the the simple ant has 10,000 different uh, species types. But talk broadly, you and I operate and work with mammalian intelligence, about 87 billion neurons in our brain, and uh, we make individual decisions. So we tackle and solve complex problems, really, uh, as individuals. That's how we survived and prospered insects on the other hand don't quite have that luxury broad range but you know a couple hundred thousand neurons compared to our 87 billion and certainly social insects like certain ant species rely on the the colony in order to gain and amplify intelligence so they're not capable of individual decision making individual problem solving Uh, they don't have a memory for example as individuals Uh, They would see the world in in two dimension and act on instinct. But yet, as a colony, they show a remarkable amplification of intelligence and find pretty interesting ways of adapting collectively. So it's the group, in effect, that becomes uh, the brain. It's the shared connections between the insects in a social colony that function as intelligent organisms
0: and that is going to play because we're getting there i imagine people are still quite baffled It's going to play an important part in the second part of this story but the first part is that there is this drive for more sustainable farming more sustainable sources of protein you know the rise of alternative proteins and in there there's both obviously the sustainability aspect regenerative farming that has a less impact on insect populations which as you say are so crucial for pollination and we've covered that in in previous episodes but how you and I became connected was also around this idea of insect farming and we're already starting to see its prevalence in sort of general media about the future role that insects might have to perform but certainly could perform in terms of providing human nutrition or animal nutrition in the form of protein as an alternative to current sources which are as we said in many cases unsustainable so let's dig into the world of insect farming maybe you can give us a broad view of, of what what that is and what has been done to date there
1: absolutely i got drawn away from uh, the world of london finance into a fascinating waste nutrient recycling business that uses insects as the recycling agent so i think the best way to picture or imagine this would be to walk down the end of your garden if you've got a compost heap and in effect what we tried to do on an industrial scale is reproduce the compost heap so uh, you put uh, organic food waste onto your compost heap in our case we'd have to separate out the clean stream organics from uh, the various different mixed plastics glass etc that make their way into into the waste chain uh, so we would get paid to receive and separate that waste recycle the inorganics and as you paste your organic food waste onto your compost heap insects then start their work not only insects but obviously various forms of de- decomposition uh, but insects uh, and in particular uh, if you live in sub-saharan africa you will find black soldier fly larvae who are one of nature's most efficient recyclers and they consume organic food waste Bioconvert convert it into forms of, of protein oils and uh, a frass, which is a form of compost residue that they leave behind, which is very high in, uh, in NPK value. So your nitrates and potassiums, et cetera, that on, a, a, on a, a large industrial scale is what we were doing, really mimicking the function of a compost heap to uh, make protein bioavailable in a different form.
0: Okay, so so the why here is obviously you've got multiple benefits. You are you're able to tackle organic waste. You're turning that into proteins and oils that can be used in what? We'll come on to that. And also obviously then the MPK that can go into fertilizer. Is this one of many different species that are trying to be used for this? I mean, you know, what's the how prevalent is this, and where is the biggest emphasis? Is the biggest emphasis on The organic waste management or is it really on the proteins just help us understand sort of the broader industry and the scale at which it's at
1: absolutely yeah there are probably three or four established global players in this field the demand i guess tends to be driven by the waste economies so the waste economies of los angeles for example japan being a volcanic island makes landfill extremely expensive insect factories have tended to pop up in areas where landfill is expensive it provides a good revenue stream as a in effect a raw material input and there aren't many businesses that get paid for their raw material input so so the the price of of waste is is certainly important particularly for uh, our technology that was recycling consumer food waste rather than cleaner uh, organics from say brewery grains or spent milk powder or protein powders etc this is pure mixed consumer organic waste so it's driven by that demand that's your most voluminous product so you'd want to locate your insect factory close to the waste supply chains and then on the other hand it's driven by our global intent to to deplete pelagic fish stocks around the world at an alarming rate we use enormous amounts of uh, fish meal based protein across our agricultural supply chains, whether it's for the salmon shrimp farming, various different aquatic farming practices for pet food production. And we are very protein thirsty, uh, thirsty humans, and we are decimating the last fish in, in the sea to do that. And there's been a huge advent of, you know, roller nets that are trawling the bottom surfaces of the ocean. for the krill and, and fish stocks to create into protein powder so this is really a result of two needs really one to recycle food waste and avoid landfill and the other is to solve a protein crisis so it's it really is a a full circular economy business
0: yeah and and how, you know, coming back to that sort of you know, how nascent is this? I mean, is are there similar trials going on with other species? You know, are there are there similar you know farming efforts going on with crickets or whatever it might be to generate other proteins? Is the investment community excited about this and its potential to replace at least those lower value protein demands? You know, like fish, you know, animal nutrition and so forth, where perhaps they're a bit less squeamish about eating a a fra you know <laughs> a crushed uh, maggots etc
1: absolutely yeah my view um, would certainly be that the black soldier fly are the predominant waste recyclers, certainly from an industrialization point of view but you're absolutely right crickets are farmed for various flowers and proteins as indeed are our mealworms on a great industrial scale too mealworms being the, the larval form of the of the mealworm beetle so they are also efficient waste recyclers so those would be probably um the mealworm and the black soldier fly on an industrial scale is the two insects that are probably taken forward and certainly are the the insect farmers that have raised the largest capital the crickets do and there are various other forms of grubs that you'll see in bar snacks and various different human forms of consumption there are companies that make an ento milk so an an insect-based milk and various other products but in terms of the large-scale effect, the the industrial businesses are, are focused really on the black soldier fly, and in some part the mealworm too.
0: Yeah, and because I mean, it sounds a fantastic story, right? It, you know, it, it's one of those stories where you you know it, all things are aligning. You've got sustainability, you're being paid for your inputs, and you're generating three streams of outputs, all of which are increasingly in demand and valued by the world, the commodities sector in particular, of course. But this is no mean feat, right, to get a a biological system up and running.
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, it's huge capital expenditure. It is, in effect, forging and fashioning an entirely new agricultural industry that takes a huge amount of time, a huge amount of technological development. And you're also trying to synchronize the rhythm of nature with that of capital and the industrialization of the factory. Those two processes are not always particularly synchronous and, uh, they take a huge amount of, in effect, artificial intelligence and systems and robotics to try and reproduce the life cycle of the black soldier fly in an industrial environment. There's a huge amount of resistance to that these are obviously natural organisms that you are trying to control the temperature the humidity of various different environmental factors to get them to reproduce at an economically efficient scale and then you've got the challenges of the waste input as I talked about that varies throughout different seasons and times of year is not uniform has in effect pest species within the within the waste that you need to kill and denature and terminate so there's a huge amount of competing forces at play it is certainly that an industry that i believe will form the basis or a large part of protein production in the future but it's it's still a long way from that and if you look at battery powered vehicles you'd 100 percent say that within 20 or 30 years time uh, there won't be any form of propulsion really that relies on an oil and gas and i think you could Certainly, make that claim for insect farming and protein production from alternative sources away from, from fish meal. But uh, that industry will take its time to evolve and develop to push out the incumbent industries and practices that uh, are environmentally harmful and have proliferated and taken hold. So, as with any societal change or industrial change on this level, it will take time. But I think we're on the right trajectory and there's certainly a huge amount of capital interest and uh, attention being paid on the on the insect farming space
0: yeah Uh, just why fish meal in particular and is that just a starting point or do you think could this expand to all animal nutrition protein requirements
1: yeah absolutely i mean it it tends to be that you uh i guess when you're trying to replace a product you go for the high value products first particularly because of the costs, as i've mentioned the capital expenditure required to build insect factories. You're going to go right to the top in terms of the replacement. The insect meal, depending on the on the the protein composition, can compete with fish meal. And uh, you're you're obviously trying to drive the highest price. But things like chicken feed and uh, wild bird dried meal worms are certainly trying to replace some of the pet food proteins as well that are that are used. So dried mealworms, dried black soldier fly larvae as, as chicken feed, as pet feed, as reptile feed. So really, I guess you target the high end part of the market while your production costs are high. But there's no there's no reason why insect protein couldn't be used in more intensive in- industries like the chicken farming industry. But there, there isn't the price to merit that at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do find this fascinating. One final question. I mean, obviously, one of the challenges that we've Talked about on the show before is around raising livestock. Is of course the disease load and the propensity to have you know half your half your crop in inverted commas destroyed overnight, as we're seeing right now going on with bird flu across uh, Europe. Do these you know black soldier fly larvae suffer from viruses etc? Are there can you have a a catastrophic collapse in in your population as a result of pathogens?
1: Well, insects are actually nature's purification agents. They really are specialists uh, in in the highly efficient rematerialization of organic waste. And in doing that, they display an incredible amount of antimicrobial properties, particularly larvae. I mean, Genghis Khan used insect larvae to clean the wounds of his soldiers many hundreds of of years ago. So they really are very strong at uh, eradicating disease-causing bacteria in the waste and in the process, and they create a biologically secure source of of protein and oil. So yes, there are challenges of reproducing them through a a complex, industrially engineered process, but disease is not, not really necessarily one of them. I think keeping other insect pest species eggs out of the food waste is certainly a challenge, but it doesn't tend to be one that we encountered in the in the reproductive life cycle
0: right okay well i will uh leave people to reach out to you directly i'll you know put notes in the in the show notes about this but obviously it's fascinating and i definitely think it's a a trend that is going to become increasingly important over the next 20 years especially as you know many of these activities start to get supported by whether it's carbon credits or subsidies etc
1: The HC Insider podcast is brought to you by HC Group, a retained search, intelligence and advisory firm focused solely on the global energy and commodity sector, with six locations across Asia, Europe and the Americas and over 50 consultants. To find out more, go to our website, hcgroup.global. There, you can also sign up for our HC Insider content for more interviews and white papers on relevant trends and talent impacts in the commodities world.
0: I guess you left the physical world of insects for the the virtual world of insects, and we come back to this point about how insects amplify intelligence through many, many, many individuals. Can you... talk about the next stage of your journey with insects and how that starts to really tie up with the, the financial world of commodities.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So I, I guess I was fascinated by this thread of biomimicry, in effect, the ability to reproduce some of nature's ingenuity that uh, has accumulated over many hundreds of thousands of years. And it was that idea that really led me to trading and trading systems. I partnered with a former man vector manager a guy called pan yanaku who had a series of 16 systems that traded individually much like the mammalian way that i uh, i spoke about earlier about trading for uh, in effect individual survival all these 16 systems are capable of individual decision making and in effect solving the, the the trading problem of trying to buy low sell high more efficiently than most let's say so that's one way to make a decision. And uh, as traders or, or fund managers, we are professional decision makers paid to make decisions. And it occurred to both Pan and myself that perhaps there was a different way to make decisions. Perhaps we could turn towards nature to understand how in effect nature's decision makers might inform a slightly different trading or investment process. And that's what we've created with the, the swarm 16 program and, and information sharing matrix
0: yeah so okay so so that sounds quite abstract at the moment can you yeah, i guess too. break it down for us because I, I find this fascinating break it down for us w- how exactly are decisions made within the colony and how that start to translate into this new theory for how you could apply it to systematic trading
1: absolutely so there are three principles that we've mimicked from the way in which specifically ant colonies function the first of which is they are incredibly efficient information exchanges Uh, so they swap information through a pheromone trail through a chemical trail and they do that with other local agents in their colony having exchanged that information they make a decentralized decision based upon the information that they've received from their other colony participants. So it's decentralized decision making that particularly fascinates me because it allows the colony to manage and allocate resource to where it's required most. So we mimic the second factor, which is decentralized decision making. And the third is that each of those agents, in our case, uh, systematic programs can get allocated out roles which they adopt flexibly as required by the colony based upon learnt rules and and behaviours or interactions with other colony members. So this is an organisation system that we've copied from nature. It's led to the survival over hundreds of millions of years and incredible species proliferation within ants and insects. And we've applied that to a trading programme. So we take 16 systems which were the underlying engines that Pan had developed for his previous fund. And instead of getting them to trade as individuals, we follow those three principles that we've learned. So we get these 16 systems to swap information in all of their possible combinations. Having exchanged that information, they make a decentralized decision based upon the information they've learned and received from the other 15 systems
0: I, I know it might be a stupid question i guess i just don't understand what you mean by decentralized can you, can you characterize for us exactly what you mean by a decentralized decision
1: right so a centralized decision would be one made by a person or actor that makes uh, decisions based upon only their own input or information so we as humans are centralized decision makers we see a piece of information we process it and we make a decision accordingly what ants or insect colonies are doing, are making decisions based upon what the other actors in their network or colony are doing. So that's why it becomes a decentralized decision because they are making a decision to, in effect, go out to a new food source or to provide structural defenses for the colony. But that decision is based upon the actions of the other participants in their colony. And that's why it's a decentralized decision.
0: Okay, so one one of those sixteen or the ant is is saying, "No food here, I'm moving off over here. That will then inform the other fund to say, well, whether it's going to buy or sell, as opposed to this centralized algorithm that says if x, then y right so absolutely so, so it depends and it, I guess it depends on which ant the ant bumps into, or in this case, which of the sixteen you know last communicates with one of the other. Fifteen? Is that right?
1: Absolutely. So within these information sharing matrices, we assign roles to each of the underlying sixteen systems. So based upon what each each others are doing, some of them are defensive, some of them are attacking, some of them borrow conviction from systems that are idle. So about twenty percent of an ant colony is permanently dormant, waiting for a new opportunity. As are a certain percentage of our systems. They don't trade. They wait for a new opportunity and give up their volatility or risk to another system. Some act in reverse. They seek to provide protection or diversification when they see the colony or in, in our case, our financial markets are overexposed or overcorrelated in one direction. And the idea is that these 16 markets that trade futures across commodities, stock indices, interest rates and currencies, these systems are completely interchangeable. They are all traded using the same underlying methodology, but they're focused on a role-based allocation based on what's best for the group. So the gold trader or the oil trader doesn't make a decision based upon its own system. It makes a decision based upon what the other 16 systems are doing and may make a decision to go short oil when it realizes that the oil market is rising to provide protection. Or to catch a trend before it reverses. So that is the fundamental philosophy shift from a traditional decision to a swarm inspired trading decision.
0: Right. So at the moment, your 16 are across these asset classes. You could then, but you could presumably say, I just want a pure commodities swarm or colony. And they're going to be making those decisions among the 42, making it up, different commodity contracts.
1: Absolutely. The, the the value in the IP that we've created we, is, I guess, not only in the, in the 40 months of, of track record uh, that we've created in this strategy, but it is around the swarm technology theory. And it says, essentially, that we have found a very effective strategy that mimics ant colony optimization. And that has the ability to solve a series of different real life problems, whether it's swarm technology that's used in movement coordination or understanding crowd behavior, decision-making, trading in our case, even in robotics, there is an area of science that is looking at swarm intelligence and swarm-based decision-making. So we could use that across a series of different financial markets. In effect, the markets we choose to trade were chosen well before we developed uh, the swarm matrix. So there is certainly value in making decisions differently and mimicking this style of intelligence and that's what we uh, seek to capture we can't claim that we have absolutely reproduced swarm intelligence but we have reproduced a decision making method and methodology that is uh, very different to the rest of the participants in financial markets and th- and that shows up uh, with our correlations uh, and our performance over over a period of time
0: we'll obviously put notes or the links to Swarm in the show notes. I do have a a couple of questions. One is, I guess when you think about applying this to other industries, other problems, whatever it might be, the the real challenge is, is both in getting the roles correct, right? In trading, it's relatively more simple, I guess, buy, sell, hold off. You know, I don't want to oversimplify it, but trying to get the roles right for whatever application you're using where there aren't such analogous roles That you see from a colony, and secondly, I guess as well, in this particular case, surely you've really in effect only got sixteen ants. So I'm assuming it would work a lot better if you had thirty two ants, for example.
1: Absolutely. Well, just to answer the point about the roles, of course, that requires human interaction, human programming, as would any AI system. But in in our case, the roles uh, slightly adapt across time as the system learns. So it's not necessarily uh, machine learning, but a very slow form of machine evolution, as we call it. And then to come to to the second part of the question. So between 16 markets, there are actually 65,534 nodes or information exchange points. So that's all the two-way combinations in the colony, all the three-way combinations, four-way combinations, etc., and what we have done is reversed and en- engineered and reduced the number of ants or systems. And that sees a breakdown in the swarm intelligent effect at about nine to 10 markets. But increasing the markets beyond 16, the number of nodes and interaction points in the colony becomes almost exponential. So 32, you would need almost NASA level computing power or quantum computing, if you like. To do that so the way in which we would expand this program is expanded out sideways with overlapping markets so a second set of 16 markets that shared a market in common across each of the four asset classes rather than expanding the matrix outwards that would require huge amounts more of information processing and not necessarily a more efficient outcome if we come back to the ant colony the whole ant colony doesn't communicate and exchange information with each other ant colonies are enormous can expand and, and, and span hundreds of miles in effect uh what how ant colonies work is they work in smaller pockets and they transfer information efficiently almost like a, a mexican wave effect in the stadium so locally initially and then it passes through and that's uh certainly what we we'll try to mimic as we expand the program's capacity and reach to other markets.
0: Yeah. So tell tell us a little bit about the, I don't want it to turn into a plug, but tell us a little bit about the performance. I am fascinated by, you know, whether you're seeing a real sustained outperformance of other systematic trading models and even just, you know, poor old humans.
1: Yeah, well, I think, Paul, it would, uh, it would be not such a good story if we then produced a, <laughs> pretty correlated trend following program and yes the proof is is in the in the output uh, we've been trading for three and a half years returned 57.29 uh, percent with a correlation of 0.08 to our benchmark which is the Gen uh, cta index which is the largest 20 systematic strategies and funds and then a correlation of 0.03 to the s p so I guess if you're if you're looking to diversify, you, you diversify across asset classes, but it would make sense to diversify in the way in which your decisions are made. And I think there's a huge amount that we can learn from a, a very different way of thinking.
0: I guess getting a little bit philosophical. Have you have you in any way sort of distilled what you think it is that really makes the difference? You know, is it the speed of decision making? Is it the how you know i'm just trying to get some sense of how sort of this looks different can you sort of compare to your traditional sort of whether it's a you know algorithmic based or human based i mean what what is it about this colony into the swarm intelligence that really makes it look so different in practice
1: yeah to to answer the philosophical element of the question first in effect all an insect colony is is the equivalent of a computerized neural network with a set of rules and a set of in effect decision-making capabilities and all uh, you have with uh, with computers standing back as you assemble enough neurons and nodes in our case uh, ants and information exchange points and the power of their information exchange amplifies uh, through that process and in our case, it amplifies significantly beyond the cumulative power of the group. So 1,000 ants are much more uh, intelligent as a colony. They have a cumulative power of intelligence than 1,000 ants individually. So that's what we have, uh, in effect, done. We've taken 16 price inputs into our program. We trade very slowly. So you might expect us to be high-frequency traders. We're, we're not. Uh, we're fairly slow-moving. And in effect, we create a matrix of those 65,534 synthetic data points. And then we look to allocate out our rules based agent based roles uh, from the information that is in the shared data. Now, I might give you this quick analogy is that if you had a temperature trader and a rainfall trader. So let's say uh, you're the, the temperature trader pool and you're an expert, you're an individual, a human, you trade temperature. And I am a rainfall trader and I trade uh, all the rainfall patterns. I'm an absolute meteorological uh, uh, expert. And instead of getting us to just trade our individual two markets, we create a synthetic indice called temp rain. So we create a price series or a data series called temp rain. And now, instead of making your decision uh, as the temperature trader just using the information from your market, you look at temperature temp rain and rain and based upon what i'm doing is the rainfall trader also looking at those three combinations we make our decision for in effect the good of the three markets or the three price series so is it true that there is more information in temp rain than there is in temperature and rain and my argument would be no no you can't create more information But is there different information in the temp rain series? And is there a different way of making a decision to trade temperature and rainfall based upon the information in temp rain? We would argue yes. And that's, in effect, what we are doing as efficient information extractors.
0: Yeah, fascinating. Well, congratulations on the performance. I mean, one final question. Again, I just find the topic fascinating. Is this... You know, are we talking about a pretty nascent theory in terms of finance that you and Pan have come up with? Where do you see the applications? Or is, you know, are many different firms trying to hunt this down? Can you just give us some sense of where this could head. Could this be actually, a, a, I guess, a decision making, at least from a theory standpoint, a, a breakthrough?
1: I think there's certainly uh, more applications beyond trading individual markets, maybe at a portfolio level to assess and make decisions on a series of different portfolios. Uh, We're not aware of anyone else that is using this application of swarm technology or swarm intelligence in this industry. As I said, there are, it is used in communication, in in robotics, in understanding crowd theory and behavior, and there is a growing academic body that are looking at, in effect, ant colony optimization and, and swarm intelligence, but think we are the safe to say the first mover in financial markets and we've got some interesting plans beyond uh, the swarm 16 program that said there's still a lot of work to do with that and we are busy away with it
0: again thank you very much for your time and uh, it's been a, a fascinating discussion and you know hopefully we can check in back with you guys in the future and and see see where it's headed and also talk again on the on the insect farming side
1: Look forward to it. Thanks very much,
0: Paul. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the show, please give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To find out more about HC Insider and HC Group, a search and advisory firm dedicated to the commodity markets, visit our website at www.hcgroup.global. There you can find out more about our services and our offices around the world. There you can also find more content from interviews to insight pieces to more podcasts focused on the commodity value chains. Thanks again for listening.